0: Good evening, I'm Roger Huang Maldonado, president of the New York City Bar Association. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome you here tonight for this very special presentation of honorary membership to Loretta Lynch. Um, I'm sure you've all heard the saying uh, that there is an old Chinese curse that goes, may you live in interesting times. Um, I googled it and unfortunately it's apocryphal. There is no relationship between that saying and China whatsoever. That said, I think there is no question that we indeed are living in very interesting times. And unfortunately, that's true because the rule of law has been stress tested over the last um, period of time in ways that have seldom occurred before. The, The concept of the rule of law, is not just relevant to but is at the core of tonight's proceedings. We are here to celebrate Loretta Lynch's career-long dedication to and accomplishments in both supporting and strengthening the rule of law. The City Bar Association was formed to combat uh, corruption in our judicial system. As we approach our 150th anniversary, 2020, I submit that there's no better time than now and going forward through our celebration to reaffirm our commitment to the fundamental purpose of upholding the the rule of law. Among the lessons that we've learned over these last 150 years is that the rule of law is not something that you support from one day to the next and you think about it and you do something else. Rather, it is a constant commitment and no better exemplified than by our honoree. It is a lifelong endeavor that we as members of this association, indeed all all attorneys, We we must do what is necessary to live up to our duty as officers of the court, to serve as stewards of the legal profession, and we can only do so by abiding by the rule of law. This brings me, fortunately, to Judge Kiyo Matsumoto, who will introduce our distinguished uh, guest. I can think of no one more appropriate to honor Ms. Lynch on behalf of the City Bar Association than the chair of our Honors Committee, and we have several of the Honors Committee members here with us tonight. Thank you to all members of the committee. Like our honoree, Judge Matsumoto was born in North Carolina, and she has recalled that in her home state at the time, and I quote, nobody knew quite what to make of Asian Americans including which water fountain they should be drinking from. (laughs) Both of Judge Matsumoto's parents and her grandparents were sent to internment camps during World War II. The observation made by Judge Matsumoto's parents that there were few Asian American lawyers to contest the government internment policies during World War II was on Judge Matsumoto's mind when she decided that she wanted to become a lawyer. And we are so glad that you did. It is my pleasure to turn the podium over to the Honorable Kiyo A. Matsumoto, United States District Court Judge for the Eastern District of New York.
1: Well, thank you for your kind introduction and thank you for to all of you for attending. I do want to also um, thank the members of the Honors Committee and explain to you why we all so enthusiastically recommended Loretta Lynch for this award. Loretta was a young girl in Durham, North Carolina, in the late 1960s when she commenced her lifelong dedication to serving her community, seeking equal justice for all, and enhancing the rule of law. She was descended from generations of Baptist ministers, and her great-great-grandfather was a free African-American who sacrificed his own freedom when he fell in love and married a woman who was still a slave. Loretta heard how her grandfather, a sharecropper and pastor, assisted African-American men who feared injustice, and he helped them move north, away from the racist Jim Crow laws of the 1930s. Loretta's father was a Baptist minister, and he brought Loretta along to the local courthouse to bear witness to legal proceedings involving members and neighbors of his community. As a young girl, Loretta's brilliance and precociousness were evident but not readily accepted. When Loretta achieved a high score on a school exam, her teachers suspected her of cheating and she was required to retake the test. Loretta retook the test and she scored even higher a second time. (laughs) And despite having the best grades in her high school, Loretta's school was not ready to bestow the honor of valedictorian on Loretta, a young black woman. So the high school decided that Loretta would share the honor with two other students. Subsequently, Loretta made her own move north to attend Harvard College, where she earned a BA in English and American Literature. And thereafter, her JD from Harvard Law School. It is not surprising that Loretta was a member of the Harvard Legal Aid Bureau, a cheerleader, and choir Alto. <laughs> After cutting her litigation teeth at Cahill, Gordon, and Rindell, Reportedly working so hard that she passed out from exhaustion and dehydration, Loretta commenced her career in public service. And that was an illustrious career indeed. In 1990, Loretta joined the US Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York. She prosecuted a wide range of cases, including violent crimes and narcotics cases. Her outstanding work, her tireless work ethic, and her leadership skills propelled Loretta to be appointed Chief of the Long Island Office Criminal Division, and then Chief Assistant to the U.S. Attorney, another notable city bar member, Zachary Carter. In 1999, Loretta was on trial on the trial team that prosecuted NYPD officers who brutally violated the civil rights of Abner Louima, whose name she would invoke some two decades later as, quote, shorthand of the day for the use of excessive force by law enforcement in her remarks addressing Baltimore's police community crisis. In June 1999, Loretta was appointed to serve as U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York by President Clinton. Under Loretta's stewardship, the office prosecuted many cases, among them Benny Hanna Founder Rocky Aoki for insider trading, and she announced a sweeping indictment of 45 members and associates from New York, New Jersey, and Florida of the Genovese, Gambino, Bonanno, Colombo, and Lucchese organized crime families. Loretta's tenure as U.S. Attorney lasted until the new presidential administration in 2001 when she returned to private practice at Hogan & Hartson. It was then that Loretta turbocharged her participation in the New York City Bar Association. She served on dozens of committees, including the Judiciary, Criminal Law, the Criminal Justice Council, the Environmental Law, and the Executive Committees. And finally, the one that seems to have captured her heart, the committee overseeing the Cyrus R. Vance Center for International Justice. Along with then City Bar President Evan Davis, who's here tonight, and the previous President Michael Cooper, Loretta was instrumental in launching the South African Legal Fellows Program through which black South African lawyers would work for a year at a major New York law firm. The program was designed to help overcome the legacy of apartheid in South Africa by promoting a more racially inclusive legal profession and spreading the rule of law and the spirit of pro bono service. To date, more than 50 fellows have returned to become leaders of the legal profession in their countries. And with the addition of fellows from Kenya and Nigeria, the program is expanding under its new name, the African Fellows Program. Loretta also began teaching the annual course on trial advocacy to prosecutors in the International Criminal Tribunal in Rwanda. And at the tribunal's request, she led an investigation into alleged alleged witness tampering. She has spoken of how rewarding that experience was. She contributed to bringing justice to a country ravaged by genocide and she described the inspiration she received from a man who saw his entire family struck down and went on to adopt eight genocide orphans. She said, I went to Rwanda to help people there and they ended up helping me. I went there to share my talents and my experience and they gave me gifts far deeper and broader and which I can never repay. In 2010, President Obama appointed Loretta to a second stint as U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York. Among many accomplishments, Loretta's tenure is regarded for her office's widely admired work on human trafficking. The Guardian called Loretta a tireless scourge of sex traffickers and described her prodigious history of throwing sex traffickers in prison, breaking up prostitution rings, rescuing underage victims forced to work as prostitutes, and reuniting mothers held captive by the rings with their long-lost children. During Loretta's tenure, the office also prosecuted political corruption cases and tried the largest number of terrorism cases nationwide. In nominating Loretta for her second term as Eastern District U.S. Attorney, President Obama remarked that, Loretta might be the only lawyer in America who battles mobsters, drug lords, and terrorists, and still has the reputation for being a charming people person. <laughs> In 2014, President Obama nominated Loretta to succeed Eric Holder as Attorney General of the United States. President Obama's earlier observations about Loretta's unique combination of steely resolve and charm proved to be accurate. Not only did Loretta comport herself with trademark grace, intelligence, and poise during her Senate confirmation hearing, she enjoyed the tremendous support of many former colleagues, friends, and family members, and current and former sisters from her sorority, Delta Sigma Theta. They made quite an impression. When Loretta was sworn into office in April 2015, she was the first African-American woman, the second African-American, after Eric Holder and the second woman after Janet Reno to serve as Attorney General of the United States. Loretta served with distinction as Attorney General of the United States from 2015 until January 2017. In addition to high-profile terrorism, narcotics, and public corruption cases, Loretta oversaw the investigation of the tragic church shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, and the Orlando nightclub shooting and the most sweeping mafia prosecutions in New York City history, involving seven organized crime families. Upon her appointment, Loretta skillfully navigated some of the most combustible and polarizing issues in America, involving law enforcement and race, brought to the fore by the deaths of Eric Gardner in New York, Garner in New York, Laquan McDonald in Chicago, and Freddie Gray in Baltimore. Loretta worked tirelessly to improve relations between the police and the communities they were charged with protecting. Following the death of Freddie Gray, the Justice Department investigated the practices of the Baltimore Police Department. After the Department of Justice announced findings, that members of the Baltimore Police Department had engaged in unlawful and unconstitutional conduct, ranging from the use of excessive force to unjustified stops, seizures, and arrests, Loretta appeared at the University of Baltimore Law School to outline the DOJ's plan to engage the community. She observed that in talking with local leaders, protesters, and police officers, that I heard the name, the same refrain, I love my city and I want to make it better. She continued, we as a nation have at long last begun to hear the voices of those who do not feel protected by the police who feel singled out because of where they live or what they look like. We have at long last begun to understand the unique stresses and dangers that our law enforcement officers face as they work to address violent crime, drug abuse, human trafficking, and so many of the other ills that afflict our communities. We have begun to understand that we all have a role to play in strengthening our communities, reducing crime, and improving trust. In short, we have, at long last, begun to recognize one another's common humanity. To see each other as we really are, not as we assume each other to be. After leading the Eastern District's multi-year investigation into corruption in global soccer's governing body as U.S. Attorney, and soon after starting as Attorney General of the United States, Loretta Lynch and her Eastern District U.S. Attorney successors, Kelly Curry, and Robert Capers announced two successive indictments of 16 top FIFA officials charged with engaging in rampant, systemic, and deep-rooted corruption. Loretta's stellar career and her multiple titles reflect her deep commitment to protecting and improving the lives of all Americans. U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York, not once, but twice. Law Firm Partner, Attorney General of the United States, These titles are all impressive, but Loretta is the only person in the entire world who has been named by Marvel Comics as a superhero known as the FIFA Slayer. (laughs) And there she is. This new superhero was created by Marvel at the request of ESPNW after the FIFA prosecutions were announced. ESPNW commented, quote, we have no word on whether Loretta Lynch's foot ever nailed a ball into the soccer net. But after this year, her impact on the beautiful game of soccer is as leg- legendary as Brandy Chastain's. One cannot help but assume that among all of Loretta's impressive accolades, she will hold a special place in her heart not only for the Marvel superhero honor, but also the third annual Golden Blazer Award conferred upon her in April 2016 by two cheeky British soccer commentators known as the Men in Blazers. In bestowing the Golden Blazer Award upon Loretta, they called Loretta America's greatest gift to the world since the Marshall Plan. The British Embassy in Washington chimed in on Twitter to congratulate her. How far this brilliant, compassionate young girl from Greensboro has come, that precocious daughter of a pastor and a school librarian. From her earliest years, Loretta learned and lived the values of close family, service to one's community and country, and the pursuit of equal justice and the rule of law. Not only through abstract concepts found in law textbooks, but by sitting in court with her father and witnessing the law's application in real time to living and breathing people. That child became the woman who would say, decades later at a Vance Center Forum, one of the pillars of the legal profession should be to provide assistance to those who do not have the means to afford it because it is not just a constitutional right as it is for us, but a fundamental human right. If you really believe in the rule of law, then there are really no boundaries, geographic or otherwise. Like Loretta Lynch, the New York City Bar Association, since its early days, has been dedicated to the highest ideals of our justice system. After nearly 150 years, the City Bar endures and contributes to the public good thanks to its members and recognizes and celebrates the lawyers who emerge as leaders of their generation. You may be wondering how special is the award of the honorary membership in the New York City Bar Association. I submit as evidence with no further comment, a small sampling of those who have received this award before Loretta. William Howard Taft, Benjamin Cardozo, Charles Evan Hughes, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Felix Frankfurter, Learned Han, Dag Hammarskjöld, Earl Warren, Warren Burger, Thurgood Marshall, William Brennan, Marion Wright Edelman, Harry Blackman, Cyrus Vance, William Rehnquist, Judith Kay, and Jack Greenberg. To this illustrious list, it is our great pleasure this evening to add the name of Loretta Lynch. Congratulations, Loretta.
2: Good evening, everyone. I want to thank everyone for that warm welcome. I want to thank the Bar Association for this amazing honor. But let me begin by saying that it is so good to be home. (laughs) President Maldonado, let me thank you not just for the warm welcome that I've received from you this evening, but from your leadership of this outstanding organization. We are fortunate, indeed, to have you at the helm. Judge Matsumoto, my friend and my sister in the law for so many years, thank you for those kind words, but thank you most of all for your friendship and your support over the years. And to all of you who are here tonight to celebrate with me, I thank you. Looking out over this room, it is not an understatement to say that my heart is truly full. I see so many dear friends and colleagues who have walked this path with me, who could just as easily be here with me accepting this award, I could not ask for a better group of friends and comrades in arms. This is an incredible honor that you bestow upon me tonight. I'm deeply privileged, both to have been able to do the work we've spoken about and to have had such support throughout my career from so many of you who were here. As has been noted, I join an incredibly distinguished list of prior recipients many of whom served as an inspiration to me throughout my career. And I'm tremendously honored to stand where they stood, even for just a few minutes, to join their ranks. I don't know how they felt, but I certainly am in awe still of their contributions to our great profession. And this award is also meaningful to me because of my longstanding connection to this Bar Association. Although, you know, when I first joined it, it had a much longer name. (laughs) I still recall my introduction to the New York City Bar Association and it was actually in the late 1980s I was still an associate at a Wall Street firm I had not yet fallen out as has been described (laughs) but like so many young lawyers I was trying to find my way in this great profession of ours and I was wondering how to make my law degree and my work meaningful in a world that seemed full of billable hours and document review. And a senior lawyer at my firm suggested that I join the Association of the Bar of the City of New York. And I remember asking from my desk, piled high with papers, what did they even do? (laughs) (laughs) But I came to a reception here. It was a reception for young lawyers, one of many that this organization sponsored and still sponsors, uh, that is such such a wonderful thing to do. I came by myself, my, my colleagues were all busy at their desks, um, and I'd heard about the association by that time, but I didn't know anyone here, I didn't know anyone at the reception. So feeling somewhat out of place, I began to wander around and try and strike up a conversation with various people. And then I began to speak with another lawyer who was there, an older gentleman connected to the association. He was on various committees, he told me. And he spoke to me about what he found so gratifying about the association. He spoke of his own litigation practice, but also about the public interest work that he did through the association and other groups. But most importantly, he just talked to me about the importance of the law, not just as an individual practice, but as service to the larger community. And he asked me about my work, and he asked about my goals, and he talked about the Bar Association as a place that would support all of that. And I was hooked. I wanted in. I didn't know at the time that Michael Cooper was active in the association's leadership (laughs) or would go on to become its president. I didn't know at the time that I would ultimately travel to South Africa, not just with Michael Cooper, but also with Evan Davis, then President of the Bar Association, and Joan Vermeulen to work on the South African Visiting Lawyers Program. And I would see firsthand this association's commitment to advancing the rule of law both here and overseas. I didn't know that I would get to know such luminaries of the bar as Evan Davis and watch his vision for connecting this association literally throughout the world come to fruition. I did not know that I would go on to serve in so many positions in the Bar Association at the time. All I knew at that that warm summer reception night was that Mike Cooper, as he said to call him Mike, exemplified a group of people that was supportive and welcoming and was very committed to this great city and to the world, as was I. And through all the years of my association with this great organization, that has never wavered. It's been my pleasure and my privilege to have served this organization as a committee chair, a member of the executive committee, and yes, the board of the Cyrus Vance Center. But as we know, as we sit here tonight, The mission of this organization, the mission of the New York City Bar Association, is more important than ever, especially your stated commitment to uphold the rule of law and access to justice in support of a fair society and the public interest in our community, our nation and throughout the world. It's been my privilege to have helped carry that mission forward at home and abroad as well as to the halls of power in Washington, D.C., where it seems as if a reminder of the importance of the rule of law is needed literally every day. Now, to state that the rule of law is currently under attack in this day and age is to utter a profound understatement. Having faced this challenge around the world, it is particularly jarring to realize that we are not immune here at home. Institutions that represent our highest and best ideals are being denigrated. They endure a barrage of criticism flung at them, not to improve them or to strengthen them, but rather to undermine their credibility for personal and partisan purposes. Norms of discourse and behavior are being shattered and ignored. And in the highest office of our land, personal interest has been placed ahead of our countries. Now of course, this association since its inception has always known the profound commitment required to maintain the rule of law, along with the honor and the integrity of the profession. Indeed, you were founded in the post-Civil War widespread abdication of professional ethics and standards and the corruption that ensued from that. But the current attacks on the rule of law are all the more painful really because they are so intense, they are unwavering, they have been unrelenting. And through these attacks, we are indeed seeing a backlash against progress made, not just over the last administration, but progress made painstakingly and carefully and painfully over several generations. Why is this movement so intense? Well. I submit to you it is because the strength of any backlash is always directly related to the power it seeks to suppress the strength of any backlash is always directly related to the power it seeks to suppress and the law in particular is a powerful force the rule of law itself stands as a testament to our highest ideals and aspirations The law has aided in the path to equality for so many. I stand before you a beneficiary of many of those efforts. Time and again, it is the law that we have used to face down tyranny. It is the law that we have used to uplift the oppressed. And when we achieve true access to justice, we see people here and around the world find their voice, reaffirm their humanity, and take control of their destiny. And while the law has not always been used to uplift all voices, let us not forget what we have accomplished just in our own brief time here. In the war on terror, we have worked to safeguard our nation in a manner consistent with our Constitution. We have done that. And although we're not done, we have looked at our criminal justice system and begun to face the inequities It has wrought. We have done that. We have continued to wrestle with the challenging issue of restoring trust between law enforcement and the communities that they serve. We have done that and we continue to do that. We have made marriage equality a reality for all of our friends and family members. We did that. And we've held individuals and institutions accountable For corruption and the way that they have broken faith with those who have placed their trust in them, we have done that. We have sought justice for so many in this country and around the globe. We have done that. We have used the power of law for so much good. And yes, the backlash has come, but it always does, after a time of progress. And we now see the efforts to chip away at the years of progress that so many people in this room worked to bring to fruition. We see the efforts to suppress the vote, to diminish our democracy. We see families whose only crime is wanting a better life divided and torn asunder in the name of our government. We see that. We see attempts to weaken the very institutions that pose a challenge to arrogant and unbridled power. We see all of that. But let me tell you what else I see. Even in these difficult and challenging times, I see people in this great country standing up and taking a knee in the time-honored tradition of protest that has made this country great. I see young people using their own pain and suffering not to just define themselves, but to help others. I see those same young people calling us all to account in their quest for a safer and a more secure society. And I see people across this great country determined, utterly and completely determined, to make their way not just to the ballot box, but also to put themselves On the ballot and I see that the world still looks to us as an example of leadership in the past but also now as an example of how to hold on to the precious freedoms that we have achieved because these are indeed challenging times and yes we are being tested our faith in our institutions and our procedures and our very history in the story of what makes us America is being tested. But we must never forget that our greatest progress has often come after some of our greatest trials and tribulations. And we must also remember, as we struggle and deal with the challenges of today, that this has never been easy. Over 200 years ago, we decided what kind of a country we wanted to be. And we have not always lived up to our founding ideals, but we have always pushed on. And with every challenge, we get a little bit closer. We've held the truth of the equality of all men to be self-evident. We have fought, literally fought, to maintain a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And we have followed a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. And at every turn, When our own struggles have threatened to tear us apart, yes, we have been here before. We have turned to the law to reconnect ourselves with our highest principles, to give voice to those fighting oppression, to give hope to those seeking the redress of wrongs, to protect the weak from the strong, and to give true meaning to the cry of never again. These are our values. These are our beliefs, and when we hold on to them, we do great things. And what we've learned from all of these challenges is the lesson for all of us today. It's not that our values are not true and good, but that every generation must commit to them and work to make them real for the challenges of their time. And now, my friends, it's just our turn. That is where we are today. But the price of freedom is constant vigilance. I stand here before you today so fortunate to have had a life within the law. I've represented my country in court and represented individuals before the bar of justice. I've worked to ensure that the engines of commerce ran freely. I've worked to ensure that the perpetrators of genocide were held to account. And I was blessed beyond belief to serve the Department of Justice The only cabinet agency named for an ideal. But through it all, through all of that, I have been most touched by the people I have met along the way, along that journey, my colleagues in the search for justice, my comrades in arms. But I will tell you that when I think back on my most moving moments, I remember being a young lawyer in the basement of the courthouse in Brooklyn, New York, helping a witness find the courage to tell their story telling a victim that we have been able to bring justice to their family. And what has been most moving to me throughout my life in this great profession of ours has truly been all of those people who often had no reason to believe in the legal system, who had no reason to have faith in the law, but placed their faith in me, in our system, in our government. They now place their faith in all of you now is the time to, to reaffirm our commitment to the principles that have brought us to this point now is the time to understand that even though we're being challenged we have survived this challenge before and now is the time to look at all of those people who look to us and lean on their faith as we commit ourselves again not just to the rule of law but to making justice and equality a reality for all of those who come to us for their protection. I want to thank you again, not just for this wonderful award and this wonderful evening, but for all that you have done over the years as a body and individually to support all of those people who look to us, who place their faith in us and still do. I look forward to standing with you as we continue this fight on their behalf. And I thank you so very, very much.